Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous program, I was talking about life. I was talking about what it means to live. And of course, it's very important to define what it means to live because if we don't have a definition for what it means for us to live, then what will we mean when we say we are not living? This is important because in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, the Apostle Paul says that it is no longer I who lives. If it is no longer I who lives, then what does that imply? So that's what I'm dealing with. I'm dealing with this subject from the point of view of what does it mean to live first? What does it mean to say that I do live And then we can have a better appreciation for what it means to say, it is not I who lives. Now, at the end of the previous program, I introduced the subject of Adam. I introduced the subject of Adam in order to show you that there are a number of things that we can understand concerning our relationship with our God, how he created us, what he created us for, by examining the relationship that existed between Adam and God. Now, we know that at a certain point, Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden by eating from the wrong tree. And when God discovered this, he told Adam to leave the garden. He effectively told him, listen, this is my garden. I made this garden, and I told you that you could enjoy this garden and eat from any tree you wanted to except for this one tree. I wanted to keep this tree for myself, and I told you not to eat from this tree, but you did it anyway. And so leave, go, get out there. And I suggested that maybe God told him to go out and find another God. Now, of course, he did not do that. But that's one way that we could look at that. We could say that God was saying to Adam, go out there and find another God who's got his own garden and see if he'll let you into his garden. Now, of course, this is a very important thing to consider because there are many people who believe that that is what life is about. You just simply go around in life trying to find someone else who has a garden who will let you into the garden and let you eat whatever you want to eat. Life for many people is defined by trying to find someone else who will take care of them. That is what life means to many people. And they go from one person to the other until they finally find someone who is willing to support them for the rest of their lives. That's what a lot of people do. And there are Many ways that people approach this, there's a lot that can be said about that. But instead of getting into all those details, I would just like to say that this is not what God told Adam to do. He did not tell Adam to go out and find some other garden belonging to somebody else and convince them to let Adam go into their garden and live off of the garden. Instead, he told Adam, you go make your own garden. You get out there and you make your own garden. Don't rely on somebody else. Don't necessarily rely on me. Don't go find some other god or some other king. You do it. You get out there and you be responsible 
for yourself. And this is one way to define life. This is one way to define living. To say that it is I who live can easily mean that it is I who am self-sufficient. It is I who am self-sustaining. I can build a life for myself. I know how to do that. I can do that. And so I will do that. And because of that, I can have a sense of legitimacy. I can have a sense of purpose and meaning. I can have a sense of position. I can have a sense of independence from God even. This is a reasonable conclusion to what God told Adam when he told him, go out there and make your own garden. Adam could easily say, okay, I'm going to do it on my own and I'll do it and then I will effectively be my own God maybe or something like that. Now, of course, this is not the only way to look at this situation. You could look at it from the point of view of Adam is now going to be obedient to God. You could look at it from that point of view that life is not just about taking care of yourself, but it's also about being obedient to God. God told you to go out there and plow up the ground and grow food from the ground, and so you should go out there and do that, and now you will be obedient to God. You were disobedient to God when you were in the garden. Now Adam can go out into the world and he can be obedient to God by doing what God declared. Now, There is, of course, great risk in being successful at that. The risk is, is that now you can boast. Now you can have pride because of what you have accomplished through your obedience. In the first two programs that I produced on the subject of our identity in Christ, I talked about this from the point of view of Cain. I talked about Cain and Abel, and I explained that according to Genesis chapter 4, Cain had a bit of a problem with this. He had a sense of pride because of what he did. And this, of course, resulted in all kinds of complications, but he was obedient to the judgment and the command of God. When he was obedient to God by going out and plowing up the field like God told his father Adam to do, he did that. He should be righteous because of what he did. God, of course, explained to him that he's not going to be righteous because of what he does. He is only going to be righteous when he acknowledges God for who he is and depend and trust on his mercy and his mercy alone. But instead of explaining all of that in this program, I would just like to refer you to the first two programs that I produced on our identity in Christ, and I'll move forward from there. Now, what I would like to proceed with in this program is to consider the relationship that God continued to have with Adam after Adam left the Garden of Eden. That's one thing that I would definitely like to address next. Because this has everything to do with our life today. It really does. The only challenge that people face, of course, is that they don't know this. They don't understand this. But I really believe that it is true, that it is real, and that it would be very, very helpful if people understood the relationship that God continued to have with Adam after Adam was kicked out of the garden in Eden. You see, before God kicked Adam out of the garden, Adam and God had a relationship. For example, God made the animals and he brought the animals to Adam and he said, here, these are the animals that I just created. I know you can't create animals because I didn't make you to create animals. But what you can do is you can name these animals. Now, of course, I could name these animals, and I can just tell you what the names are, but I want you to do it. I want you to name 
these animals. And in that way, I want you to participate in the creation that I have made. Now, this subject of participation is a very serious subject. I did a whole program on this situation between God and Adam titled The Joy of Adam, where I explained that God wanted Adam to participate with him in the creation. Now, if you've been listening to me for a while, you will have heard me say on a number of occasions that God is an active participant in our lives. But in this context... He is allowing us to be an active participant in his life. And this, I believe, is a fundamental premise to understand the dynamic relationship that we have with each other, us and our God, a relationship of mutual participation, that he participates with us, we participate with him. That this is what it means to be in Christ and for Christ to be in us and for us to be together living this life in a mutual experience, a mutual experience of life in this world. But in this program, in this context, what I want to emphasize is the fact that God allowed Adam to participate in God's creation. And this is a fundamental premise because when God sent Adam out into the field, out of the garden, he sent him out, he told Adam to grow his own food. But Adam can only do so much in terms of growing his own food. Adam can work the ground, he can fertilize the ground, he can put the seeds in the ground, but only God will make the seeds grow. Only God will take those seeds that are put in the ground, those dead things, and bring life out from those seeds so that plants may grow. Adam could easily boast about his own labor, his own productivity. He could easily boast about that if he forgot that without God causing those plants to grow, he would have nothing. And for many people, they ignore, they completely ignore the participation of God in their lives even when it comes down to the food that they eat. But in Adam's case, I have a suspicion. This is one of those things that I would like to ask Adam later when I see him. I expect to see him. And I'm going to ask him, did you consider that God made those seeds grow? Did you consider that? Because if he considered that, then he would also recognize that, yes, God sent Adam out of the garden. He told him, get out of here, go out there and make your own garden. He did send Adam away, that's true. But in this sense, God also went with Adam when Adam left the garden. God did not abandon Adam. He did not leave Adam completely, entirely. He went with Adam and he made those seeds grow. I believe that this is an indicator that this shows that our God wants to be a participant in our lives when we fail or when we succeed, that regardless of our sin, regardless of our successes in life, regardless of our failures, that our God wants to be a part of our lives 
and he will be a part of our lives in as much as he wants to. And so I believe that this is very important to consider, very important to understand when it comes to the subject of life and what does life mean? What does it mean to live? Now, again, for Adam, this would be an opportunity for him to see that God is not just participating in the life of Adam, but that he is also allowing Adam to participate in the life of God. He is allowing Adam to participate in his creation, to be a part of the creation of life in the world by growing these plants. God is allowing Adam to participate in the creation, the creation of life, the creation of those things that will feed life and create more life through the life-giving properties of the food that people are able to eat or the food that animals are able to eat. Our God allows us to continually participate in his creation with him, whether we recognize his existence or not, whether we recognize his participation or not. He still gives us the privilege of being active participants. And this is another way to define what it means to live. This is one way to define what it means to live. That to live means that we grow and we grow other things. We grow plants. We grow animals. We construct things. We produce things. We participate by creating things, by making things. It is through the creative capacity that we have and our capacity to perform the labor to develop the ideas that we creatively come up with in order to come up with something in the end, a final product of some kind. It is through that that our God allows us to continually participate with him in this world that he is actively involved in. And through that, we can also see his participation in our lives. Now, when we look at our life in this context... When we understand that our God is allowing us to be a participant, and when we understand that he is participating with us also, when we recognize this, then there is an opportunity for us to see that all aspects of life are truly sacred. All aspects of life are holy before our God even though most people don't even acknowledge his existence, that doesn't mean that he does not see these things in this way. And I believe that he will give us insight concerning these things in our own personal lives, in our individual life experiences. As we live our lives, we will see, what does it mean to live? It means that we are participants with our God in his creation, producing, creating, doing things that help other things grow, other people grow, that we can take things that have been grown and make new things out of that. And through that, we have a living experience, a life of participation with our God. So if we live our lives 
suggesting that it is us who live. It is we who do these things. It is I who does this. It is I who does that. There may be some truth to a statement like that. And I don't want to minimize the significance of an individual and their accomplishments. I don't want to minimize that at all. There is nothing wrong with someone saying, I have done this, I have done that, because they did. But that statement does not exclude our God. It does not have to exclude our God. A statement like that does not have to exclude Him and reject any recognition of His participation. It's okay to say that I have done something, that you have done something. We know full well that without our God, we could do nothing. We know that. We don't need to establish qualifications and say, well, I did this, but only with the help of God. Only a religious individual who's trying to assert some pride by claiming that God is with him, but not with you, would say something like that. When we know our God and we know that he is participating with us, then when we say, it is I who live, we know full well that without him, we would not at all. That is fully recognized. That is fully understood. But in the flesh, in the lives of the people in the world who do not recognize their God at all, to say, it is I who lives, that phrase may be the exact same phrase, but its meaning is entirely different because... The individual is clearly stating their independence from their God in that context. So it really depends on who says it and under what circumstances. There's no need to follow behind individuals consistently in order to ensure that they give God the proper credit that he is due. When an individual acknowledges the existence of God, it's by default that they recognize that it is he who allows them to do such things. When an individual does not acknowledge the existence of God, well, then certainly they may be asserting themselves in a proud way that certainly is not legitimate, and they're definitely not acknowledging the active participation of God in their lives. That's true. But when Paul says, it is not I who lives, but Christ who lives in me, I believe that a significant part of that statement has to do with the participation of God in his life to such an extent that even though he could easily say, it is I who did this, he could easily say that. But to say it is not I who lives means that he recognizes that without the active participation of God in his life, there certainly would be nothing. But this does not remove him from responsibility, from participation, from being able to claim something with regards to what took place. Now, I understand that there are many people in Christianity today who believe that that is completely unacceptable. I understand that. I'm just not one of those people. I don't see any problem with that at all, although I know there are a number of people who do. There are many people who really want to take the position that God somehow overpowers them, overcomes their consciousness, if necessary, so that he can work within and through an individual to such an extent that they have no choice, no option. It is as if they are possessed by the Holy Spirit 
in a way that God will work in and through them. And in the meantime, they're going to be put to sleep or something, and then they'll wake up a day or two later, and they'll realize what God did within and through them. It was as if they were possessed. That's what a lot of people that I find, that I encounter, that's what they really want to believe. I mean, if the devil will do it, then God should be able to do it also. That's the extent of many people's faith. They really believe that they just sort of hum their way through life, and then miraculously God gets a hold of them and starts doing things within and through them. And the next thing this individual knows, if they're even informed at all, they discover that God did a work within and through them and so that they can claim that it is no longer they who live, but Christ lives within and through them. And I just don't see it. I really don't. I don't believe that our God will interact with us in that way, even though the devil can certainly interact with people in that way, overcome their consciousness and speak through them and do things through them. I've seen this personally. I'm not unaware of these kinds of things, but I have never encountered the living God working within and through anyone that way. I don't see why he would. I don't believe he ever would, because I personally believe that he wants us to be participants. He wants us to participate, and as soon as he overcomes your will, as soon as he interferes with your ability to choose, then you are no longer a participant, and he is no longer a participant. He's no longer a participant because now he's in so much control that it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything. There is no agreement between two individuals walking in this daily life experience. There's no life going on. There's no living taking place. There's only a God who dictates and controls, and that's it. And I don't see that our God relates to us that way. I really don't. I believe that we have a God who is an active participant in our lives and that our life, what it means to live, means participating in his creation, in the creative capacity of our God. Now, this goes far beyond the subject of agriculture, far beyond that, because we know the gospel, we know the good news And when we go out and share the good news of the Lord Jesus with other people, on occasion, people believe in the Lord Jesus. And when they do, what happens? They are born again by the Spirit of God, and they are made into a new creation in Christ Jesus. And our God allows us to be participants in this effort of bringing the good news of the Lord Jesus to people throughout the world so that we can be participants in the creative act of resurrecting an individual from the dead spiritually so that they may be born again by the Spirit of God made into a new creation so that they might have a place in the kingdom of heaven. Everything in life is sacred. Everything is holy. Some things will certainly remain and be forgotten, but when it comes to eternal life, this will never be forgotten. But instead of this, instead of being an active participant in the life of God, in the life of his creation, and instead of allowing him to be an active participant in our lives through our acknowledgement with him and through also being attentive to what he may say or how he may direct us. 
Instead of that, people will say things like, So, brother, are you uh, keeping God's commandments? How are you doing with your sin? Have you been repenting adequately? When was the last time you asked God for forgiveness? Right? That's what people are thinking. That's how people live. Let me summarize that. It's very simple. That is a life that is defined by the knowledge of good and evil. And this is what Adam gave up. He had a life with God in the Garden of Eden, and he abandoned it. He turned away. He left. He left that life. For what? For the knowledge of good and evil. And that is exactly, that is precisely what will prevent an individual from experiencing a similar relationship. We can't go back to the Garden of Eden, but we can have a similar relationship with our God in the context of being a participant with Him. And instead of that, people are devoted to their knowledge of good and evil, or they are devoted to their law, to the commandments that they live by. And yes, I know God gave commandments. He gave those commandments as his contribution to mankind's great effort to try to live without him so that perhaps mankind would eventually discover that there is no life there, that there is nothing there. And then when you discover that, you may turn to your God and rest in the new covenant that he has established which allows us to have a relationship with our God that we could have never had before. But this is the barrier. The barrier is the knowledge of good and evil, the commandments that are defined on the basis of what is good and what is evil. Folks, there is a different way of life that has nothing to do with the indulgence of the flesh, and it has nothing to do with the restraint of the flesh. It has to do with something entirely different that has to do with the mutual participation with our creative God. And I will explain this more in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you,